music teacher named John Russell loses his wife and daughter in a tragic accident. In an effort to process his grief, he moves into a secluded historical mansion that he soon learns is home to a supernatural force that has chosen him as an unwilling participant in a haunting. Seeing this as an opportunity to possibly move on from his family's death, Russell begins to investigate the haunting and learns the shocking truth about a murder that happened in the attic at the turn of the century. What makes George C. Scott's rare foray into horror so appealing to critics and fans alike? Is there any truth behind the story that inspired the events of this film? Today on Filmgasm, I delve deep into 1980's The Changeling and the real-life haunting that inspired it. Fasten your seatbelts. We're going back to the haunted house. Happy Wednesday, Big Shots. That's right, if you're listening to this podcast, you're a big shot, a go-getter, a fine gentleman, a lucky lady, and everything in between. You're listening to Filmgasm. I'm Connor Izagari, lover of everything film, especially horror, and Filmgasm is a podcast where I get to rant in your ear about whatever the hell I want, mostly film-related. Feel free to visit the website, filmgasm.com, for daily movie reviews and articles, as well as YouTube links to all my old attempts at a podcast before I learn how to do this. Be warned, there's no structure it's a mess, but, you know, you might find it entertaining. And, you know, I could use the views. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed last week's episode on the crimes of Ted Bundy, focusing on the Netflix biopic Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. I know I did. We're coming up on episode 15 in just a few weeks, where me and Austin, the Sundance to my butch, will be doing our third Weird Shit Wednesday which is where, instead of a horror film, we talk about the career of a Hollywood icon or a legendary scandal, something with a little more juice. For this one, it's the career and death of John Wayne, the quintessential American cowboy who may have contracted a deadly cancer from the irradiated set of his 1956 Genghis Khan biopic, The Conqueror, which resulted in 91 confirmed cases of cancer by 1980 out of 220 cast and crew. 46 of those 91 would later die of cancer. Was Wayne one of these casualties? We'll try and find out in a few weeks. But first, it's time for The Rewind. In this segment, I update you guys on any new movie news related to past filmgasms or just really anything interesting that's popped up in the past week. First up, I I have a Saw update for you. Comedian Chris Rock has expressed interest in rebooting the Saw franchise for Lionsgate. That's right, Chris Rock. Darren Lynn Boosman, director of Saw 2, 3, and 4, will be directing the reboot, and the screenplay is based on an original idea from Chris Rock, who is a massive fan of the series. The film is due to hit cinemas on October 23rd, 2020. Now, I love the Saw franchise. I'll definitely be seeing this, but when Jigsaw came out in 2017... What really made me excited about it was that it wasn't a reboot. It was a continuation of this epic story. You know, the game never stops. And I I heard they were, re, you know, doing two more. Saw, uh, what was it, 9 and 10. And I guess that's not happening now. And that's a shame because I really wanted to see where that story was going. And I'm concerned, you know. Reboots are very hit or miss. They're rarely middle ground. And I'm, I'm reluctant. Not, there's very few good horror reboots out there. And... I don't know, I just don't want Saw to end up back on the cutting room floor again. Next, there was another Amityville film released in 2018 that I forgot to mention. It's called The Amityville Murders, 
and it's a dramatization of the original murders committed by Ronald DeFeo Jr., where he murdered his family because voices told him to. And this is the story of the original murders that the Lutz family uh, would later claim was the haunting. Like these are the this is the family before the Lutz family, and supposedly the cause of the ghost or the evil in the house. But you know the film has a 5.0 on IMDb and an 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, just another feather in the cap of that constantly disappointing train wreck of a franchise. Next up, Roman Polanski's upcoming film Jacques, in which a French captain is wrongfully convicted of treason, has changed its title to An Officer and a Spy. It's currently set for a November 2019 release in France. No word yet as to a U.S. release. I bet he's going to have issues finding a distributor in this current political climate. That's it for updates, but I do have some cool movie news I'd like to talk about. This has been just exploding this past week. Robert Pattinson has been cast as the new Batman for Matt Reeves' upcoming reboot, The Batman, set to hit theaters in 2021. Now, his casting is polarizing for fans who remember the outcry when Ben Affleck was cast in the coveted role years earlier. So, what are my thoughts on this? I, I'm willing to give him a chance. I mean, you know, to be fair, DC has succeeded in the past with curveball casting choices. You know, Heath Ledger always comes up with this. He was, you know, a teen hot heartthrob. He was a, you know, he was in 10 Things I Hate About You, A Knight's Tale. No one thought he was going to be a good Joker. And he was unbelievable. You know, the bar's been set way too damn high with Heath Ledger's performance. And his death was a absolute tragedy. And... You know, Pattinson has proved himself to have grown substantially as an actor since his Twilight years. (laughs) So, yeah, I say, you know, let's give him a shot before we start condemning him. I've seen so many damn sparkling Batman memes that I'm just... It it makes me sad to be a fan, you know? It's people who lose their shit like this is some kind of personal attack on them. It's ridiculous. It's It's a movie. And you know what? I Matt Reeves is a hell of a filmmaker. I've really enjoyed his uh, Planet of the Apes movies. I think he's going to do a great job. I think he knows what he's doing. And I say we wait to see the movie before we start throwing Pattinson under the bus. So, I'll step off my soapbox now. That's all for the rewind. Now, let's get into The Changeling. The Changeling was directed by Peter Medak, who would go on to direct seven episodes of the 1980s Twilight Zone reboot. Uh, one episode of Breaking Bad, and Species 2, just to name a few. He mostly had a lot of TV credits. It stars Oscar winner George C. Scott, who took home the gold for his iconic performance in 1970's Patton. He was also nominated three additional times for 1959's Anatomy of a Murder, great film, 1961's The Hustler, great film, and 1971's The Hospital. Haven't seen it, but I'm sure it's great. He refused to accept the Oscar, believing himself to not be in any competition with other actors. He simply did the work. And Scott is considered by many to be one of the greatest actors who ever lived, and is notable for his roles in the films I listed earlier, as well as just some of my favorites, Doctor Strangelove, 1964, uh, The Exorcist 3, 1990, great, creepy film. I might just do an entire film film on that film alone. And 1984 is A Christmas Carol where he played 
arguably the most convincing and sympathetic Ebenezer Scrooge. He also played a Native American assassin in 1984's Firestarter, but it's best if we don't talk about that one. It's uncomfortable. Scott died in 1999 at the age of 71 of an aneurysm. And to this day, he remains one of the greatest men to ever step in front of a camera. The film co-stars his fourth wife, Trish Vandeveer, as Claire Norman, an agent from the Historical Society, who befriends Scott's character, John Russell. It also co-stars Oscar winner Melvin Douglas as Senator Carmichael, the villain, I guess, if you had to pick one. Douglas won two Oscars in his career for 1963's HUD and 1979's Being There. He was nominated one additional time for 1970's I Never Sang for My Father. He died in 1981 at the age of 80 of pneumonia. So, in The Changeling, John Russell, George C. Scott, loses his family in a car accident and tries to move on by renting a historical mansion that he learns is home to a dark spirit. The spirit in question is of a little boy named Joseph Carmichael, who was drowned by his own father in 1909 and replaced by a boy of similar age and look. This replacement boy grew up to be the senator, played by Melvin Douglas. The reason for the switch was that young Joseph was sickly and feeble, and his father knew that if Joseph were to die, his substantial inheritance from the grandfather would be given away to charity. So, in order to control the outcome of his family's financial future, the father killed Joseph and replaced him with an orphan boy. And... I guess shortly after the murder, the boy was sent to the replacement boy was sent off to a hospital in Europe and World War One happened. So there was like a nine year gap where the boy returned home a teenager. So how could you how could anybody tell? And the replacement is where the film's title comes in. In mythology, a changeling was believed to be a fairy child that had been left in place of a human child stolen by the fairies. And this new child is lacking in soul or something. The theme of the swapped child is common in medieval literature and reflects concern over infants thought to be afflicted with unexplained diseases, disorders, or developmental disabilities. So people would you know, think like, oh, my real child got stolen by the fairies and this sickly, poor, easily, you know, about to die child is a replacement. It's a changeling. And as Russell learns more about the boy and his family, he figures the reason the ghost reached out to him is so he can help the ghost complete his unfinished business. When Russell gets the senator involved, the ghost lashes out violently against the man who he believes stole his life. The film ends with the ghost burning the house to the ground and killing the senator. Russell and Claire Norman escape the burning house, and the final shot is of a music box in the rubble that flicks open by itself revealing Joseph Carmichael's ghost is not at rest and still out there. Now, personally, I, I just didn't think this film was all that scary. But there is one scene in the film that got to me, and it's pure horror brilliance. In the scene in question, John Russell has a little rubber ball that used to belong to his daughter, who died. And knowing he must move on... Russell drives to a bridge and drops the ball into the water, finally letting go. When he returns home to his empty house, he hears a distinct child's laughter and then a repetitive bouncing noise. He looks up to see the same rubber ball bouncing down the stairs right to his feet. The music swells, my heart leaps into my throat, and a horror cult classic is born. 
Holy shit. That is one of the scariest scenes in horror history. Just the implications and the visual of it is so just bone chilling. It's great. But, you know, other than that, my biggest issue with the film is that it, it lacked imagination. You know, apart from the scene with the ball, it I felt like I'd seen this movie a lot. I've seen it many times. It takes some stuff from Amityville, from House on Haunted Hill, from The Shining. And while the end result is beautifully acted, all the performers are fantastic. It's just, it's nothing to get excited about. It, But, you know, it is supposedly based on a true story. So, let's talk about that for a minute. And uh, this is from an article about the story that I found on the Denver Public Library's website. This goes into detail about the true story. So... I'll go ahead and read that out for you guys. The 1980 film The Changeling is based on the paranormal events Russell Hunter experienced while living in an old home near Cheeseman Park in the late 1960s. Hunter had worked as a musical arranger for CBS TV in New York City, but moved to Colorado in the mid-60s to help his parents manage the Three Birches Lodge in Boulder, Colorado. In the late 1960s, Hunter began looking for an apartment in Denver where he could live and work on his music. He rented a home at 1739 East 13th Avenue, which has since been torn down. Hunter claimed that beginning on February 9th, 1969, he started experiencing strange phenomenon in the house. First, there was the, quote, unbelievable banging and crashing that occurred every morning at 6 a.m. and stopped as soon as Hunter's feet would touch the floor. Then, faucets began to turn on by themselves and doors opened and closed on their own. Walls vibrated violently, tossing paintings to the floor. Alright, <laughs> look. When you get in these kinds of situations, I've never been in a haunting situation quite that powerful. But the second the walls start vibrating, why don't you get the hell out of there? You know, clearly there's something in this house doesn't want you there, so get the hell out. Cut your losses, man. Like, it's not worth your life. Alright. Shortly thereafter, Hunter and an architect friend uncovered a hidden staircase in the back of a closet. The stairway led to the third floor of the home where Hunter found a child's trunk containing, quote, a nine-year-old's school books and journal from a century ago. The journal detailed the life of a disabled boy who was kept in isolation. The boy wrote about his favorite toy, a red rubber ball. A few nights after discovering the trunk... A red rubber ball dropped from the top of a spiral staircase in the home. Jesus. Dude. <laughs> How obvious does a haunting have to be for you to just get out? Jesus Christ. Ugh. Okay. Hunter claimed that a seance revealed the story of a sickly child who was heir to a fortune from his maternal grandfather. When the child became gravely ill, his parents worried that the boy's inheritance would pass to a different branch of the family. When their son died, the couple secretly buried him in a field in southeast Denver and adopted a boy from a local orphanage who perfectly resembled their deceased son. They trained him to take on the identity of the deceased boy, hence the Changeling film title, and the boy went on to become well-educated and successful. Hunter declared that it was the deceased child who spoke through him at the seance, revealing directions to his burial place under a house on South Dahlia Street. Hunter stated that after gaining permission to dig under that home, human remains and a gold medallion inscribed with the deceased boy's name were found in the grave. How do you explain that? Like, how did he know where the boy was buried? 
A few days later, Hunter stated that he began to experience more violent ghostly activity in his home. He said, quote, Glass doors blew up in my face and severed an artery in my wrist. The inner walls over the head of my bed violently imploded. Hunter left the house and only returned to it again to watch its demolition make way for a high-rise apartment building, which, of course, probably is haunted now. He remarked to the raising, quote, As the walls of the wing which had contained my bedroom collapsed, they suddenly flew outward and crushed to death the man operating the bulldozer. Oof. So, as Phil Goodstein points out in his 1996 book, The Ghosts of Denver, Capitol Hill, the historical details in Hunter's story don't exactly check out. So, did it happen? Probably not, but it's a cool story. You know, it's a it led to an interesting movie. I think a lot of this sounds too creepy to be true. Kind of like Amityville, like yeah, it's neat if it you know, it's a cool story, but it's probably bullshit. So, now, you know, I I don't know, you know, Come to your own conclusion on that. Here's some filmgasm facts for The Changeling. Number one. Director Martin Scorsese included this movie in his top 11 scariest horror films of all time list. I, okay, I guess. Scorsese was scared by it. Number two. Director Peter Medic said he was initially intimidated by stories of actor George C. Scott being difficult to work with. But the only trouble Medic had with Scott on the set was when production managers accidentally knocked over a chessboard on which Scott had been playing a game against himself for over two weeks. I, I've never done that. I've never played chess against myself. How do you even do that? And why would you do that? I mean, is he, was he that bored or is he that crazy? I don't know. And number three, in a featurette for the DVD release of the 1996 horror film Scream... Actress Nev Campbell named The Changeling as the scariest film she had seen. I No. It's, it's just, it doesn't do it for me. That's probably why this one's so short, because I don't really have a lot to talk about with The Changeling. There weren't a lot of, you know, memorable moments. It's not that big a film. It's not you know, that legendary of a film. It's just kind of a neat little ghost story with George C. Scott in it. And, you know, sorry for this one being so short, but... There's just not really a lot to grasp with this one. Like, that's it for The Changeling. I give it a 7 for my final score. Had some great moments and great performances, but it's just not one I think I'd watch again. And, you know, if you want to see more from Filmgasm, feel free to subscribe. iTunes, YouTube, weekly videos every Wednesday. Check the website for updates on reviews, podcasts, articles, social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're everywhere. And, you know, we'll keep on keeping on. You keep listening. I want to thank Austin Johnson and Caleb Leger for keeping the site fully stocked with reviews and articles. And stay tuned next Wednesday, where I'll be going back to old Hollywood with 1941's The Wolfman, the original werewolf movie that started an entire subgenre. One of the original Universal Movie Monsters Big Three, the other being Dracula and Frankenstein, for sure future filmgasm topics. The Wolfman is an absolute classic, and I can't wait to talk about it. But until then... If you throw a bouncy ball over a bridge and then when you go home, you hear a kid laughing and the ball rolls down the stairs, get the fuck out of the house. Especially if you don't have a kid. <laughs>